The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layered timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the updates for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagicdesign.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. And this week we continue our interview with Aaron Butler. And we're focusing again on the film I Am Michael. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the structure and the transitions of Michael's change, which is phenomenally done by Aaron's work. And we're also going to talk about how he transitioned from editing documentaries into editing a feature film that's based on a true story. And after the interview, we're going to talk about our plans for NAB. But in the meantime, enjoy part two of my interview with Aaron Butler. Now, you you mentioned... Um, how Michael's transition and going, uh, you know, from this sort of very far left, uh, open, openly gay man to a very far right, uh, married to a woman, uh, straight man. And I was wondering, cause one of the things that stood out to me was the subtlety in the changes and the sort of not hitting people over the head, but just sort of pointing out little changes in his character and his little in his um, in his world, and I was wondering how you went about structuring this change over the film. When we started, you know, putting it together, and this is all—it was always Justin's vision from the beginning that he didn't want to be on sort of one side or the other. He didn't want to be like super judgmental about Michael's journey. He really wanted to explore Michael's journey and understand it from from both an outsider's point of view and from Michael himself, from his point of view. And also, you know, in, in a way, kind of from the left's point of view and from the right's point of view. You know, so that was always sort of, you know, the vision from the beginning. And then while we were working, you know, it was just this kind of, it was this process of really, you know, figuring out um, piece by piece what are the little elements that led up to Michael's change. And, it's kind of like this, you know, uh, this puzzle where uh, Michael had a, a very specific kind of personality. He had kind of extreme personality. He's kind of an all or nothing kind of person. So you take that personality, uh, then you take his history. You know, his father died very suddenly and dramatically from a heart condition, and his mother died of cancer. Um, also died very um, abruptly in a way that he, you know, Michael wished he had spent more time with her. He felt very guilty around that. So you take that history plus his personality and then a series of events, um, him kind of starting to learn about Christianity um, kind of plants a little bit of that seed based on all of his kind of fears and worries about death. And then you add in the heart condition. He starts to have his own heart palpitations. 
and that sort of brings it all to the surface. And so you combine all those little pieces and you start to see how somebody can how somebody can start to completely change their life. Um, but it was just very, you know, it was taking a lot of time, um, you know, seeing, go, looking at what are the little elements, you know, what are the little things in each scene, whether it's referring to his personality, whether it's referring to his history or, you know, and how are each of those interacting? Um, and I really, you know, I'm a, big believer in, uh, I, I use index cards, um, you know, on, you know, on, uh, on poster board and, um, you know, for each project, I, I adjust my index card system a little bit depending on what the movie needs. And so in this movie, you know, this movie was so much about, you know, relationships. Um, so what I did was I broke it in. So, I, so what I do is I color coded the relationships. So, you know, the first part of his history is his relationship um, with, uh, you know, his two partners. That's his uh, his gay life. And then this sort of the, the middle section is when he's somewhere in between. Um, he has this relationship uh, with this guy named Nico um, at this Buddhist retreat. So that was sort of like this, this sort of in-between stage. So like those index cards were a separate color. And then there's this sort of final stage where he... Uh, falls in love with a woman, and so those so those three had you know each uh, a different color. Um, initially, the way uh, it was it was written in the script was the relationship with the woman was woven through the entire movie, and that was sort of like that was the present moment, and then we were kind of flashing back to his history. So we we're sort of like two arcs. You know, one arc was him meeting a woman and falling in love with a woman for the first time. And then, and then the other arc was his past uh, history being gay and then, then becoming a gay Christian and then trying to reconcile that. And so that's how we cut it together in the beginning. But then we, you know, as, as we did more work on it, um, we found that it was actually much, the, the present day stuff felt like an interruption. So you're just starting to get into his kind of past history. And then you would kind of come, you would jump to the present. And instead of adding something, it, it always felt like an interruption. It felt like it was taking away from us really getting to know Michael. And so in the end, what we did, was we just ended up bookending. So we started with who he's going to end up becoming. Um, and that was never, that scene that the movie starts with was never intended to be the first scene of the movie. <laughs> um, it, was, it was never intended to even be the first scene of the present day stuff. Um, but it ended up feeling the best in terms of sort of laying out who he's going to become. Uh, and then, and because once we put it chronologically, it just, it became, it really worked a lot better because you could really sink in, like you're saying, the subtleties, you could really sink into what he's going through and what's happening with him. And the way I edit is I see, you know, I card out everything. So if a big scene is like one whole index card. If it's a, it's a very short scene or just a visual or a montage or just a, you know, a, a, a smaller moment, then I do half of an index card. And then, and what I do is I put the story, you know, in the bottom right hand corner is the scene number. So it's easy to track um, because that's how it's always organized. And then you put the beat of what's happening in that scene. What are the important story, you know, points? Um, and then I line up each of these cards um, in in rows, and each row is a sequence that's building to something. 
So basically, in one glance, I can see the entire structure of the movie. And visually, I can see what the flow and rhythm is. Um, and I can see where at, at the bottom of every column is a major story change. And then at the top of every column is the, is a sort of reset. I'm a very visual person, and so I, I want to be able to see it. But it's super, super helpful, you know, and this is all a long way of explaining, you know, this is how I track the little, you know, kind of subtle moments where, because for me, the, you know, those subtle moments are, can be extremely important. And those subtle moments that are important to story are, those are the little things that are written on these cards. And so, so I can basically just, my eye can scan down these columns and I can say, okay, in this particular column, we are building to this story point. What are the pieces we need to build to that story point? And then, um, and then basically, you know, typically it's a three act structure. So I will have three poster boards and those three poster boards are act one, act two and act three. So on one board, you can see what is the major change that happens at act one. So you're always heading towards that last card on act one. You know, you know what you're heading towards, you know what you need to accomplish story-wise. And then usually there's like three or four sequences that lead up to that big change in the act. And, and this is how, you know, this is how I approach a scene, you know, because when I, when I get the, uh, the raw footage, you know, I already know what this scene has to accomplish, you know, in terms of the bigger picture story. I know what it needs to accomplish in this particular sequence. I know what it needs to accomplish for the act and I know what it needs to accomplish for the whole movie. So when I go into edit, like I'm already, I already know exactly what I'm looking for, you know, um, in terms of performance, in terms of, you know, structure within the scene. And obviously it changes because, because things, once you shoot it, it's, you know, it's no longer, you know, things are different. And so, you know, you readjust, but then, but what I'll do is, you know, I'll go through the scene and I'll be like, Oh, okay. Actually the actor added this really interesting thing here and this becomes a new story point. And so now I can use this scene potentially in a different way. I may move it, you know, I mean, I've moved scenes, 40 in a scripted movie <laughs> and, and I am Michael. I've all, there's some scenes that I've moved 40 scenes later, you know, and completely transformed what the scene was about because, because it, because the performance was, you know, different than what we expected. I feel that comfort comes from documentary editing, right? Where it's like, well, this doesn't work. We got to move it. Yeah, absolutely. Because in documentary editing, you have, you're, you're constantly writing. And so, so for me, it's, it's totally natural when I'm doing a scripted feature, you know, I'm just looking at it in the exact same way as a documentary. I have a big pile of footage and I need to make the strongest story possible. And it doesn't matter necessarily what the script was. And I also, you know, the, I always use four boards. The fourth board is what I call the orphan board. And this is for, you know, the things that I'm currently not using. So, you know, it, it may be that, you know, oh, this scene is just kind of like, eh, it's kind of dull, it doesn't really work, or it's just more powerful to cut it out and keep, just keep moving it forward. And then at a glance, I have all of these extra pieces that I can play with. So, because, you know, once you start moving things around, once, and especially once you have a first assembly of the whole movie and you watch it through, 
you know, you'll start to see, you know, what's working or what's not. And a lot of times you'll be like, you know, there's this little moment here that wasn't really anything and we didn't really need, but we could recut it and maybe put a little sad music to it. And it could be, or, you know, happy music. Like we could turn this into a little sweet moment. Like for instance, and I am Michael, I don't know if you remember, but there's one moment where they clink uh, wine glasses. That was a whole scene. It went on the orphan board. But then when we, when we were editing much, much later down the road, we were like, you know what? We need a little feeling of celebration after he finds out that his heart problem is not the same that his father had. And so we were like, so we're looking at the orphan board and we're like, hey, you know that scene where they clink their wine glasses? <laughs> we could totally just steal that image and just use it as a part of the montage. And it totally gives you the feeling like, oh, they're celebrating. Would anybody ever know that that wasn't how it was originally intended? <laughs> you know, and I and Michael is filled with those moments. Now, when you were going through these these scenes and this restructuring uh, to sort of build this change uh, in Michael, what uh, what what did you look for in the rushes? What were you trying to find that sort of cued us to changes in his in his personality? Um, that's a good question. I I mean, I think it really. <clears throat> To me, if you could, you know, if you want to sum up story in one word, it would be change. You know, that's the whole, you know, you know, all good story is about change. So that's what I'm always looking for um, uh, in, you know, when I, you know, when I'm watching dailies and I'm going through the footage for the very first time, you know, I'm looking for change. I'm looking for, you know, what is, what is the moment, you know, in a scene where something changes. And sometimes those can be very subtle. They can be very little things. It can be just a very minor shift in the way somebody is talking. It could be a very minor shift in, um, you know, sometimes uh, it could be a physical thing, some little choice they're making in a scene where they pick something up or they do some little thing. You know, it could be like a subtle body cue, their posture changes, you know, I mean, there's, there's sort of all these different things on all different levels and, you know, usually the way I'll edit is I, you know, start with the, you know, what what is the heart of the scene? What is the point of the scene? Where, what is the change? And that's almost always where I will start. I'll figure out what, you know, story-wise, what is that moment? Because that's the most important, you know, moment um, in the scene. It's the reason the scene exists. And so what I'll do is, you know, I will find that moment. And, you know, usually it's a particular line, you know. And so I will start with that and I will go through and I will look at all the performances for that particular moment. And, and, and then I will start to understand, you know, you know, what is this moment about? How does it feel? Um, and then I will build around that moment. And then, so then I will start to find, okay, well, what's the, what's the line right before this moment, you know? And then I will start to look at all those lines and I'll see what the best performance is and I'll start to build up to that. You know, because for me, it's, you know, it's story. Story is everything, you know. It's not good enough to have a good performance, you know. You can have an amazing performance through the whole, through a whole scene, but if it doesn't help the story, it's, it's worthless, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and I edit in a very, maybe unusual, I, I'm not entirely sure, but just like my storyboards are very visual, I edit in a very visual way. I like to have all the dailies assembled in a sequence, uh, you know, start to finish uh, in chronological order. So I know in what order um, they were done on set. And then what I do is I just sort of basically slide that over in the sequence. And then, and then I do, like I just said, 
you know, once I find the, the most important moments in this scene and I find the best performance of that, then what I do is I copy it and I paste it to the very beginning of the sequence. So the beginning of the sequence is my actual scene that I'm cutting. Um, and then basically everything else in the sequence is what I'm pulling from. Um, and I, what, I, what I like to do with this, um, then I, tur- uh, you know, I always turn on um, dupe detection. And so, so that performance, you know, lights up as a certain color because it's also in, in all the, the dailies that are lined up. And so, so then, you know, if I'm going along and I pick performance and I say, ah, you know, this is a great performance by itself, but it doesn't really connect with, you know, the performance that's coming in or coming out. And I want to look at alternatives. I can just look at the color and then I can instantly see in the timeline where that is, what, which piece of the performance am I using? And then I can instantly see, oh, okay, is this one of their earlier takes? Is it one of their later takes? You know, because a lot of times, you know, the director will keep doing takes until they're happy, (laughs) you know, so a lot of the a lot of the happy, a lot of the takes that they're happier with are later takes. And then that way, it just visually, I can see all of those places where I've already pulled from so I don't waste time. For me, that's how my brain works. You know, so all these systems are, <laughs> I've developed so that I can be as fast and as creative as possible, you know. And um, so these are the things that, that allow me to do that. Now, I have uh, one question. I, uh, I was wondering, because essentially you yourself are, are gay, and I was wondering if you ever pulled from your experiences to help convey Michael's struggles of, of you know, struggling with ideas and what he's he's dealing with. I was wondering if you were, you were able to sort of help enhance that uh, with your own uh, life background or if, or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the stuff that I, that I sort of related to the most was the relationship, um, aspect of the story. And I'm a married, happily married (laughs) gay man. And, and, uh, you know, I've been with my now husband for, you know, uh, six years now, you know, and, and so I can relate a lot to, you know, Michael was in this long-term relationship with Bennett and what it's like to be in a long-term relationship and the kind of ups and downs and the joys and the pains and, uh, you know, the communication, um, struggles, you know, always trying to, you know, the compromise struggles and, and I mean, I guess in a way, in a sense, you could say that, you know, as a, as a straight person, you would have the same, you know, relationship experiences. Um, but it is slightly different when it's a relationship between, you know, a man and a man and a man and a woman. And um, so, yeah, I'm sure, you know, I mean, I didn't really, I don't think I thought about it much, like consciously while I was editing, but, but I definitely connected to the material because I understood you know, what it's like to be in a long-term relationship. And, and so much of the relationship with him and Bennett, um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, what happens, um, you know, how, how do you keep a relationship together and how do you communicate and all those things. So I was also wondering um, with regards to Franco and uh, Zachary Quinto, um, how did you approach uh, like working with their footage or how did you, explore their footage uh, to make sure that their portrayals of these guys didn't come off as as stereotypes of, of gay men. Because what I found with the film is that it was very solid and felt like looking at the relationship between them felt real, like just watching. And it didn't come off as as 
those stereotypes you always see of, of gay men in, in films or television. And I was wondering what you looked for to make sure that their um, performances didn't didn't go into stereotype. I mean, I think, you know, in a lot of that, I give, uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to, to the director, Justin, you know, because he, you know, he wrote in so many of those, uh, you know, little details that, um, you know, that really made a difference. Um, and then I think also, um, you know, on my part as an editor, um, uh, there were a bunch of little moments, uh, that were improv uh, by the actors. And so a lot of times, you know, uh, and this is another thing I do when I'm doing dailies is, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious when I watch footage for the first time, what I'm feeling. And so, you know, if I find something funny, I mark it. If I find if something makes me uncomfortable, I mark it. If something makes me sad, I mark it. Like anytime I feel anything, that's the good stuff, you know. And it may be on story point, it may not. But I, you know, but I always try to, you know, anytime something makes me feel, anytime something makes me laugh, like, you know, you got to try to to pull it in. And so, so I think that's the main thing is, you know what makes me feel anything that makes me feel is probably going to make other people feel and, and it's going to make it real. It's going to make it feel real. <laughs> you know? And and did the, the real Michael Glatz uh, see the film? As he he, he did actually. Um, he, he went to, uh, he came to Sundance. He was, he was very excited about the film. He was totally, you know, wanted to do the film. Um, he gave us, um, you know, all sorts of materials, um, you know, that, uh, you know, all sorts of like kind of real life materials and shared all of his experiences. And, you know, we were, of course, you know, hesitant, you know, to see what he thought of the film. It's, uh, and so he and he actually didn't see it until uh, Sundance, um, but he came to the festival. Uh, he watched the film and he loved it. Uh, he totally loved it. In fact, um, and there's actually a um, there's an article that uh, about his thoughts on it because he actually um, he he says that going through this process of the film has actually changed him and he actually now regrets a lot of the anti-gay stuff that he has said and he he, he has actually kind of come back around. He's still, you know, married to a woman. <laughs> He's still, you know, but he is dramatically less anti-gay than he used to be. And and uh, and he says that the film actually really changed him. It really, really changed his perspective on himself. And which is amazing. And I mean, really, that's the it's like the best we could ever hope mm. for. It's the for, best compliment I think yeah, an editor can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, everybody involved with the movie, you know, just in terms of like, you know, that, that, you know, you want the movie to make an impact. And so for this movie to have an impact on who it's based on, even is kind of, you know, I mean, it's, we, we never would have expected, expected that. I have one last question that I'd like to ask everyone I interview. And that's what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Guilty pleasure. Um, I mean, I I definitely have a soft spot for like the the '80s films of my childhood. <laughs> I mean, those are probably my guilty pleasure films, like Goonies, for instance. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, for, for me, it's like, if I'm like having a bad day or I'm like homesick and I like don't feel well and I want to like watch, watch something that, you know, maybe is not the most amazing movie ever made, but it makes me feel good. <laughs> you know, I'll watch a film like, you know, like Goonies that was, you know, that was like one of my favorite films when I was, you know, little and I'd be like, yeah. I'm also a big sci-fi fantasy guy. Like probably a film that is, and maybe a good guilty pleasure film is the uh, Dune. You ever seen Dune? Oh yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Lynch. Yep. You know, I mean, like everybody like hates that movie and thinks it's like terrible. But I just when I saw that movie when I was a kid, I was just like, this is amazing. Like I just I don't know. Well, thank you very much for letting me interview. Of course, of course. So that was part two of my interview with Aaron. Now, as I had mentioned before, we're going to be actually heading to NAB in a couple days. So we're going to be posting tons of information on our YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to be doing interviews, daily postmortem wrap-ups. We're going to be sending daily email uh, wrap-ups. So if you're on our email list, you can actually get those. And we're going to actually be utilizing our new discussion tool, which if you go to aotg.com discuss, you'll see the new sort of forum where you can actually discuss anything post-production. So I'd encourage you to check that out so that we can start facilitating more of a discussion uh, between editors and post-professionals. Now, with all that said, if you're going to NAB, we're going to be at a ton of the parties. You can always meet us there, or you can meet us at our booth, which is South Lower Hall 15816. That's South Lower SL 15816. With that said, I'd like to thank Aaron for allowing me to interview him. I'd like to thank John Pacifer for cutting this episode. Of course, I'd like to thank my producer, Lauren Woodcock. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.